Well, good morning, Faith Church. Great to be with you. I'm Eric Anderson, one of the elders here at, uh, at Faith Church, and it's been a while since I've gotten to be with you on a Sunday morning like this, and it's really a privilege. I do want to remind you, keep praying for Pastor Mike and his family as they're on their sabbatical this summer. Uh, we're going to be continuing in a series uh, through a, a selection of psalms, and um, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 66, so I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to that passage, and, uh, and we're going to explore God's Word together. Um, I do want to just say this, and I want to say it to all of you, and that is Happy Father's Day. I know not all of you are dads, um, but we get to celebrate a good and gracious and sovereign father this morning. And much of our scriptures this morning is going to point to the, the goodness and the sovereignty of God in the midst of all of this. Now, I, uh, this passage actually came to mind uh, for me about six months ago. Uh, I know I, got, I get plenty of lead time on uh, the, the chance to, to open God's word. Uh, Linda and I were sitting at our lodge up in Las Vegas, New Mexico, and it was freezing cold out. It was the middle of winter, and we had a roaring fire going in the, uh, in the masonry heater, the, the fireplace that's in that, uh, in that lodge. And uh, it was just, it was toasting. It was amazing. It gets about 900 degrees, heats this whole mass, and then ends up heating the entire house. And we were just uh, commenting on the blessing of the Lord uh, in, in bringing and using fire uh, in so many different ways in our lives. And uh, in fact, it kind of uh, brought us to Psalm 66. And we were also reflecting on the challenges of fire. You know, if you recall last year, um, it was about this time that there were fires raging all over uh, northern New Mexico. And uh, the thousands and thousands of acres were burned and um, actually the the flames got within about a mile of the lodge where we were. Uh, it was a, a scary experience. And I got to thinking I should do a topical sermon on all the different ways that God manifests himself in fire, but that's not what we're doing. We're going to do Psalm 66 this morning, and uh, we're, our, the focus is, is more direct. It's really giving glory to God in everything. It's bringing glory to him and, and causing us, calling us to worship him and glorifying him, not only because of who he is, but also what he's done in our lives and including through our own trials. Now, if, uh, if there's one thing I would ask you to take away from this morning, it's this. It's, from, uh, it's in your bulletin at the top. It's kind of the, the takeaway from the message, which is that I will rejoice in Christ and proclaim Christ even in trials for he is faithful to redeem and refine his people to the praise of his glorious name. So keep that, keep that handy in front of you because we will be uh, going back to it a few times. Before I go any further, let me just take a moment and pray with you this morning. Lord, I pray that your word this morning will cause us to recall your power and your goodness. Lord, as our creator and our sustainer, as our savior, our redeemer, our refiner, and our hope for all eternity. Many of us come here this morning and we're carrying very deep burdens, difficult ones, great trials, great losses in our lives. We have illnesses and broken relationships, death, marriage issues, financial stresses, all kinds of losses in our life. <clears throat> Lord, however great the pain is, I pray that each of us will take great comfort in the purposes that you uh, have laid out in all of these struggles to, to uh, call us to rejoice in you, to praise you, proclaim you, and enjoy you, even in the worst of times. 
because this is all to your glory, and it's in your glorious name that we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start by just reading Psalm 66. And while I do that, the reason I want to read the whole thing from beginning to end is for you to kind of capture the tone of the psalmist. And by the way, I think the psalmist is David, but my Bible doesn't say that it's David, but it sure sounds like him in so many ways. And so the psalmist is, has, a, has a particular tone to this uh, psalm, and it's a little bit different than some of the other psalms of uh, lament that uh, we will have been and will be studying. So, so follow with me as I read Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth and sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us as you have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. And I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted animals with the smoke of a sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. Now, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. So I don't know if you hear that tone, but it's a tone of rejoicing. It's a tone of praise and a tone of worship, even in the difficult passage, kind of in the middle, where he acknowledges the challenges of trials and of difficulty in our lives. So we're going to unpack this, this uh, psalm and start at the beginning in the first four verses uh, under the banner of worship him, all the earth. And one of the things you, you might notice here is that this starts big. This psalm is talking about all of creation, all of the earth, and it is being brought to attention that all of, all of what God has made is glorifying him. Shout for joy to God all the earth, sing glory to his name, give him glorious praise. So what is this all the earth thing? Um, there's a number of things it could be, and so I'm going to touch uh, three really quickly. Um, and we can, it doesn't really matter because each of them uh, bring glory to the Lord. The first one may well be the physical earth itself, the actual planet on which we live and all that's in it. Um, all the, verse 4 says, all the earth worships you. Um, and you might think at first, well, that's dumb. Rocks don't sing and cry out and mountains, well, wait a minute, yes, they do. 
Yes, they do. I am, now suddenly we're remembering uh, what God has said about his creation. And here's, here's a few examples from the scripture where the Lord gives voice to his own creation. Revelation 5.13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Isaiah twice in his uh, writings and verse uh, chapter 49 and verse and chapter 55 says the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. And then I was trying to remember this verse about the hills are alive with the sound of music. Uh, and I, of course, couldn't find it, and I realized that was Julie Andrews, and that's a whole other deal. Uh, but you know what? That actually, that, the lyrics to that song actually reflect the truth of Isaiah. Uh, Psalm 148, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all in the deeps, mountains and snow and hail and rain and beasts and creeping things and birds are all told, we are told that all of these things glorify God and praise him. You know, if, if God had decided after the fifth day of creation that he was tired and had decided to rest and had never created human beings, his name would still be glorified and his name would still be praised in all the earth and all creation. But he did go on to the sixth day when he created us in his image and praise God that we uh, have the privilege and the opportunity to lend the voice, the same voice that the rocks and the, the, the fish and, and all of the creatures of the sea uh, offer up to the Lord. In fact, one of the things uh, in Romans 1.20 that we read is that the, the voice of the earth <clears throat> is so loud in proclaiming the truth of God that it is witnessing to us his, as human beings all of us are without excuse because his creation glorifies his name. And so that's an important part of, of the, the truth of the gospel, that his creation gives praise to his name. Now, another, another interpretation, if you will, of uh, the first four verses, it's all the people of the earth, all the human beings on the planet, uh, even, those, even those who do not know their creator. Uh, in fact, in verse 3, it says, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. The enemies of God, those who don't know him, are still glorifying him. Now it's different. It's not, a, it's not willingly. And it's not for all eternity. But do you remember what Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 2, in verses 10 and 11? He says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all human beings, whether willingly or not, will ultimately give, proclaim the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. It may not be for eternity, and it may not be willingly, but it's still going to be true. And it's also true because we all bear the image of God. Human beings are image bearers of the living God. A third and maybe the most likely interpretation would be that God's people throughout the earth are the ones whose voices are raising to praise him. Again in verse 4, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. 
And this may well and likely would refer to all of us, all human beings, all of his, his church, his, his people who belong to him. And it, it paints an incredible picture of, of what it's going to be like in eternity. You know, we live here in Rio Rancho or Albuquerque and in the state of New Mexico, which is part of the United States. And, and you know, we, we may or may not have a lot of exposure to uh, God's people uh, around the entire globe, but his word reminds us of the, the small part that we play in, an, in a tremendous choir that brings glory to God. This is from Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. John says, As I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could no number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I just think that's an incredible picture. Thousands of languages, thousands of people groups and nations coming together to glorify God and to worship Him. I think perhaps that's the picture in the first few verses of this psalm that we're left with. It's incredible and it's beautiful. So how does it come to happen? Because we, we know then by experience that perhaps that uh, doesn't necessarily describe things today, uh, although it, it may to some degree. So let's look at the second part of this passage, passage from Psalm 66 and see how it is that God has brought about um, the possibility that, that his name will be lifted up by people throughout the entire earth. This banner, this second part is, worship him, all God's peoples, and remember his deeds, verses 5 through 9. The first part of it is the work of redemption of God, that he delivered us. In verses 5 through 7, it says, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. They, there did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Now, this is clearly a reference to Exodus chapter 15. You remember Exodus chapter 15, uh, where after the incredible scene of God's people coming out of captivity under the Egyptians, the, red, the sea was parted, and, they, and the people walked through the sea on dry land, and then their pursuers came in behind and tried to chase them down and were drowned in the sea. And in Exodus chapter 15, a tremendous chorus goes up to praise God for what he had just done. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't help it. Every time I hear that story, I picture Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. That movie just had like it's ingrained in my head, that picture of the sea parted and, and this throng of people coming through, and it's just tremendous. And then I'm always kind of disappointed because after that scene in the movie, they, there's no song. There's no, it's not a musical, you know? And you kind of wonder, well, what happened? You know, I, I suppose maybe Charlton Heston can't sing. I don't know what it is. But we never get to hear the song of Moses in that movie. But we, you can read it for yourself later in Exodus chapter 15. It's an incredible song. It's the first song written in the Bible. 
The first one in Exodus chapter 15. And it's also the last song mentioned in the Bible in Revelation chapter 15. In the, in the book of Revelation, we're told that God's people together, the, again, those, the, the, all the nations come together and sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb to give glory to God. And the song of the Lamb, of course, is about our, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it reminds us that there's, a, there's one kind of deliverance that was seen in Exodus, uh, but there's also a deliverance uh, from sin that is referenced here uh, through the, the sacrificial lamb of Jesus Christ. You know, we are created to worship God, but we can't without some, God doing something. Rebellion cast us out of Eden. Rebellion has separated us from God. It's the only promise is death. And uh, without God doing something, without God delivering and rescuing and saving, much like that picture in Exodus, we will not be brought into relationship with him and we cannot worship him. So God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, the perfect son of God, to die in our place as an atonement for our sins, as the sacrifice for, for, for our sin on our behalf. And all of God's people in Israel at the time of the Old Testament were, were practicing and, and fulfilling the law where, where they were sacrificing, atoning sacrifices for their sin. It was a reflection of the Lamb of God and the sacrifice that came at the cross. Uh, it was giving foreshadowing of what God was going to do in, the, in their future. And so then God calls us to respond he calls us to repent of the sin of unbelief and to believe that what, what God has brought to be is true. He's called us to repent of our selfish ways, trust him with our lives. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin and he rose to show his power over death and he has called us to respond in accord, accordingly that we would be with him for all eternity. You know, at the heart of that response is verse 7 of, of Psalm 66. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. We're called to stop exalting ourselves, to believe on God, to throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and beg him to have mercy on us, to trust him and trust not ourselves or, uh, and our pride uh, because we cannot save ourselves. And in doing that, Christ transforms us from rebels to adopted children of God. Now I'm just going to stop for a moment and... and warn you that the rest of this passage, this rest of this message, it actually isn't going to make a lot of sense unless this is what you have done with your life at this point. So I, I don't want you to leave, but I do want you to be aware that what, what God has written in his psalm for his people is, it's for his people in the rest of everything that we're going to look at this morning. You know, the promise of deliverance that uh, of your soul, it doesn't apply if you haven't uh, bowed your knee before him. The, the promise of God keeping us for all of eternity doesn't apply, it doesn't apply if we, he doesn't own us in the first place. And the refiner's fire that we're going to read about in a moment, it will be a consuming fire. It will not refine, but it will destroy and consume you. And finally, you'll have no ability to truly praise and proclaim him because only God's people can can lift up voice uh, to that, at least willingly. But I believe better things for most of us here, and uh, 
I want you to keep listening and stay with me for the rest of this message. One of the other things that God is doing for his people is to keep our souls among the living. In verses 8 and 9, he has kept our souls among the living. Bless, O God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our souls among the living and has not let our feet slip. It's a tremendous promise and one that we need to cling to, especially uh, for, uh, when we get to some verses in just a few moments. And by the way, 15 times in, um, in 20 verses, the psalmist offers a commandment to praise him. 15 times in 20 verses is a bit of a pattern. The reason for my salvation is to bless and praise and glorify God. You know, it took me years as a Christian to get away from the idea that the reason God saved me was because he liked me and wanted me to be happy, you know, which is certainly not untrue, but it's not the center, centerpiece of the gospel. The reason God redeems and saves people is that his name would be glorified. It's about him and not me. I'm just the happy beneficiary of God's purposes uh, to glorify his own name. So we, he keeps our soul among the living, and that refers to eternity, uh, not, not to this time on earth. In Exodus, it was true of, of, of people for perhaps a generation, but for us, it refers to being kept by God for all eternity, and it's a powerful and wonderful promise of God. The Bible says that we will be forever alive in Christ. In Ephesians 2, it says that when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together forever with Christ. So by definition, we, we obtain eternal life. How long does eternal life last? Eternal life lasts forever. It's a wonderful promise to hold to. He freed us from the law of sin and death, which says, for the law of the spirit of life set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is that sin gives birth to death. Very simple. And he has broken that pattern and, and broken us from that, having to live under that, uh, under that curse. He says that we are new creations in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes the Corinthians and says, Therefore, if any of you is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And that new is preserved for all eternity. In fact, we're sealed for all eternity, according to Ephesians 1.17. In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and in him, when you also believed, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that makes us forever a child of God. In Ephesians 1, he says, he, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So for the believer, we, we're born on this earth physically, and our days are unknown, and they're numbered until we depart this earth. That's the physical birth. But we're born again spiritually, and our days are not numbered. They're eternal, and we will never face death. It's a powerful and wonderful promise and one we have to cling to with all of our hearts go back to the the takeaway that is in your bulletin i rejoice in christ and i proclaim christ even in trials for he's faithful to redeem and sustain i would add and refine his people to the praise of his glorious name the reason we need to cling to those promises is because 
sometimes life is really, really hard. And we are, it's easy for us to forget what God is doing. And that brings us to the third part of this message, which is the trials that he bring, brings us that are for his glory and for his praise. This is verses 10 through 12. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the sea. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. That's not the happiest part of the psalm, but it's the most, maybe the most important. Life gets really hard, and we need to cling to the fact that God is good and God is sovereign, and we're going to get uh, really so, uh, shipwrecked in this part of, uh, of our lives. The first and important part of this is that it's God's good purposes of the refiner's fire that are, is at work in our lives. God's good purposes of the refiner's fire. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor uh, Brian uh, preached Psalm 30, and he really expanded this section. In fact, almost the whole message was about it. So I'm not going to do that, but I am just going to remind you of five things, five purposes that our good God has for us in trials and suffering and difficulties. The first one is proving our faith proving that we belong to him. In 1 Peter 1.7, which uh, Jeremy read a moment ago, the, the Bible says that the testing pr proves the genuineness of our faith. And I have some testimony I'm going to share in just a moment that I, I definitely feel like I have lived out uh, that truth. The second part is strengthening us, strengthening us for the work at hand. It's sort of like being an athlete and having to practice over and over and over again. It's in that strength. It's in in that work of refining us that we're strengthened. Uh, one of my sons-in-law gave me a birthday present a couple of years ago. It's a, it's a knife. I almost brought it. I almost brought a knife. And I thought, oh, I don't know. It just kind of feels weird to bring a knife to a church party. Um, <clears throat> and I, so I didn't. But it's made of Damascus steel. And it's one of the hardest uh, steels ever made. And it's the, the process of developing Damascus steel is thousands of years old. And it's, it's taking steel and heating it up, superheating it, and then folding it over itself over and over and over and over again until the end result is a, a knife or a, a sword that is so super hard that it's a tremendous weapon. And then of all things this morning, getting ready for church, and it's probably one of those weird AI things, but my phone popped up that somebody had found a, a sword made of Damascus steel that had been buried for like 3,000 years. They pulled it out and said, this thing could be used right now in a, in a battle. It's, it was completely and perfectly preserved. I thought that was remarkable. That's a strengthening work of, of God in the, in the intense heat of refining fire. And a third, a third purpose, and one that is probably the most, is really relevant for God's people in this psalm, is the purifying effects of the refiner's fire. Proverbs 17.3 says that the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. Now, I'm going to tell you that proverb and this part of scripture is really, really encouraging to me. And let me tell you why. It's talking about purifying silver and gold. It's not talking about purifying a haystack. It's talking about the heart, the, the, the human heart of the believer and the follower of God 
He's implying that our hearts are silver and gold, that something within the believer lasts for all eternity. And, you know, we sometimes forget this. We're, we're reborn with, with new spiritual life. The Holy Spirit is within us. And sometimes we just think we're just bums and pitiful and hopeless. And in reality, God is saying that I've given you a new heart. It's not a heart of stone anymore. It's a heart of silver and gold. And now the refining work is to deal with the flesh. By the way, the flesh doesn't go to heaven, right? It's just this, this body, this messy body that we're stuck in for however long we are on earth. And the flesh also implies all the, the sinfulness that's still a part of the, the Christian's challenge in our lives. All of it is being refined. All of it is being burnt away uh, to the glory of God and re revealing and re what's remaining is silver and gold and you should be greatly encouraged by that. The fourth purpose is to reflect the refiner. And I'm specifically thinking about silver right now. When you, when you uh, refine silver until it's really pure, it actually is, is excellent as a reflecting element. Uh, in fact, uh, when I was in high school, we used to play around with, with, with molten silver and we'd we'd pour it over a piece of glass and create a really bad mirror. But it was kind of neat to see that, you know, silver, when it's purified, does have the ability to reflect. And it, what does it reflect? Well, the first person to see it is the person who made that mirror, and it reflects the refiner. It reflects the creator. And, uh, and it's a marvelous thing, and it, it gives us the hope and the opportunity to reflect God in our lives. And finally, a, a purpose is to reward. There is a promise of, of reward for those of us who go through the refiner's fire. Uh, in Matthew, Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they will persecute you. And rejoice, because you will, you'll have the God's rewards in eternity. Romans 8, 18, says, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be re revealed in us. So God's refining brings great benefits and eternal rewards to us and, and, and ultimately brings glory to God. Now another, another part of this refining and one I want to spend a moment on is the fact that we are in the sovereign hand of the refiner, the sovereign hand of the refiner. It's, I'm going to reread verses 10 through 12, and it'll be kind of obvious because I'll emphasize it, but there's one little word repeated six times in three verses. One word repeated six times in three verses. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. It's kind of obvious. The psalmist is talking to God, and he is emphasizing, you, God, are doing all this. And it's not in an accusing tone. At least that's not how I read it. I don't picture the psalmist shaking his fist at God as he says it. He's just acknowledging how it works. He's acknowledging the sovereign goodness of our Savior and our Redeemer and our Refiner. And uh, I think that's really important. It's, it's kind of hard. I've got to be honest. It shocks me just a little bit. Uh, you read that and you go, gosh, that doesn't sound like the theology I grew up with. You know, that God just wants me happy and if I'm going through something bad, well, I must have done something bad. Or maybe God was, 
you know, wasn't paying attention that day, or, or maybe, you know, Satan just had his moment, and then it's, you know what, it, it's far, far different than that. God is in charge of our suffering and our trials. That's his work. There is never a mistake or accident with God. You know, there's one word that, that God has never said and never will say, and that is, oops, He's never made a mistake in anything that he has ever done or ever will do. And that is true of his dealings with us. It's, it doesn't seem like it, but it's true. And God has used evil. And I don't, this is such a, I don't even know how to explain it very well, other than to, that I believe God is good. And, but he has allowed evil men to accomplish his purposes. You think about Pharaoh and his army. Um, he hardened Pharaoh's hearts. And then he softened Pharaoh's hearts for a moment and let the people go through the water. And then he hardened Pharaoh's heart again and Pharaoh chased him and then he destroyed Pharaoh. And the Assyrians were over and over again and other, some of the other nations were raised up, evil men raised up by God to accomplish the refining work of his people. And he did it on purpose and the people hated it. Habakkuk laments in his, his book, why in the world are you letting these rotten people prosper? and do this to us. And uh, as God explained it, um, and it's, it's a little bit like that with Job, you know, finally he just says, okay, never mind, I repent, I trust you. You know, God has, God has a way of convincing us that he can do these things, even though it's really hard for us to understand. We are also never out of his plan or out of his sight. There's another thing that God has never said. Well, I didn't expect that, he has never said it and he will never say it because he is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He literally knows everything. And it's an attribute that is completely unique to God and that he did not remotely give to us. We, uh, the Bible says we see dimly as in a rotten mirror, probably worse than the one I made in high school. We don't see well at all. And he doesn't promise that we will. He says... I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by sight because you are not going to see everything. All you see is what God in his sovereignty allows you to see. So these trials and difficulties of our lives, it's not always obvious what God is even doing. He's just asking us to trust him. And finally, there's, a, there's an element of you know, the, you know the old saying, well, you know, when life gives you lemons and make lemonade, you know, it, that's fine. It's a nice little pithy thought for the moment for us as human beings. But there's no lemons in God's, in, in God's economy. I mean, if there are, he loves lemons, which I do too, by the way. But the point being that God is not just making the best of bad things that happen that he wished, wished hadn't happened. I, the, the problem of evil in the presence of a good God is a, is a challenge to wrap our heads around, and, and it's okay to be confounded by that. But God has said that, and I'm going to say this twice, what has happened to you in your life is in the hands of and under the sovereign control of your good and loving Savior. I'm going to say it again. What has happened to you in your life in the, is in the hands of and is under the sovereign control of your good and loving Savior, whether you believe it or not. It is absolutely true. 
he, pro- he points us back to the point of this message this morning, to rejoice in Christ and proclaim Christ even in trials, for he is faithful to redeem and to refine his people. Now, the, the fourth part of this message, kind of the last banner that we're going to look at, is uh, verses 13 through 20. And there's a fascinating transition that's happening. You know, at the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist is talking about all the earth and all of creation, all of them, way out there, in, in, around the whole globe. Then he narrows it down a bit to God's people and God's faithfulness to those who love him. It's sort of like going from them to us. And now, in verses 13 through 20, it's me. Everything in these last, this last section is the psalmist in the first person, the word I, over and over and over again. He's talking about what has happened to me. Now, isn't, that, isn't that something? It's actually kind of like the pattern of spiritual growth in our lives. We hear a truth, you know, about some sin, and we can immediately think, yeah, that sure applies to Bob over there, right? Or to those wicked, rotten people around the globe, but then the Holy Spirit breaks through and, and we are revealed in our own hearts what God is doing. We are personalizing it, applying it to our lives. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And in the case of trials, I also think it's the work of experience. When we go through things, we learn the, tr- the truth about the principles that we, in theory, knew about. But the, the experience is gives us kind of that connection to reality and enables us to speak the truth about God. And I'm going to do that right now just for a moment and just kind of share by way of testimony. And if you rewound the clock back to early 2018, I would have to say that, of course, I would proclaim that I had faith, that God is good, and that he's good in trials, and uh, he's good all the time, and he's sovereign, and he's in control. But kind of in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I've really never experienced loss that much. Never experienced all that much in terms of trials. And then on March 24th of that year, right out of the blue, my wife, Teresa, of 32 years, just didn't wake up one morning. And uh, she was called home by the Lord, and she left us to, to deal with the grief and the loss and the pain and the trials and the sorrow of losing her And in that moment, even in the first moments, I knew that this was was that trial. I I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And it was hard as heck. It was so difficult to navigate that season, and especially the early days. But the Lord brought to mind the, the words of that hymn, and we sing it all the time. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. And that song had just stuck in my head, and I know the Lord gave it to me. And he also just comforted me and said, you are going to get through this. And it was just a marvelous promise. It was horrible and difficult, but I knew that he would pull me through. And I will tell you that the, the spiritual growth that I've experienced over the last five years um, is immeasurable, especially compared to the, the first 35 years of my Christian life. It's been, a, it's been a marvelous and difficult and wonderful thing all at the same time. Well, no matter how much any of us have experienced, somebody's experienced more. And uh, to be honest, a couple of years ago, uh, I met someone who had experienced more. Um, 
she uh, had lived a life of uh, growing in the, in the Lord and had her husband brutally murdered about 15 years ago. And uh, honestly, that, that experience uh, was part of, of Linda's testimony of what God had done in her life and what God was doing in her life. And, uh, and she, she transitioned through that, able to say that God is good and God is in control and in her written testimony that I read before we ever went out on a date, I was compelled to reach out to her because of her faithful testimony of God's goodness in the midst of the most difficult things of her life. So, yeah, we did go out. It was less than two years ago, and uh, in no time, we were in love and got married. It just happened so fast, and it was just absolutely incredible. And a lot of the fuel of our relationship was the shared experience of the trial of loss in our lives. And, uh, you know, I, I just, Linda and I talked about this message yesterday, and I, I just want to emphasize something. Yeah, this is a great, wonderful, happy story, uh, but if God had not brought us together, and we were not married, and we were still both single, we would be testifying the same way. I could still preach this sermon just right out of the joy of knowing and loving him and knowing that God has what's best for me in mind and that he in eternity we will enjoy his presence forever so don't misunderstand this is some kind of you know promise well i was faithful for a couple of years and then god blessed us now that's just he just uh, chose to bless us and we're, we're very grateful for it so what about you what what's been going on in your life what kind of losses are you have you experienced or are you in the middle of experiencing are you closer to the lord because of it or have has he has it caused you to have your heart grow cold are you living in anger and disappointment frustration um, or are you praising him and by the way sometimes that all happens all at once it's okay i mean that's part of the the growth in all of this but it is not too late for you to be refined and brought near to the lord from experiences that is, are happening right now or experiences that happened decades ago. It is not too late to celebrate his sovereignty and his, his goodness towards you. It's a matter of faith and a matter of trust, recognizing that he is, can redeem things that happened years and years ago and bring you to a deeper knowledge of him. I want to read a quote by Elizabeth Elliot, and she was one, if you don't know her story, that experienced incredible loss when her, hus her missionary husband was killed uh, reaching out to a, an unreached people group. Um, here's what she says about all of this. One of the paradoxes of loss is that down the road you uncover extreme blessings that never would have come about had it not been for that agonizing and abrupt brokenness that entered your story. And then you find yourself saying, I would never have asked for this to be my story. But now, I also wouldn't trade it for the world. And that's the moment that you know that your redemption is at its genesis. I really love that. I, I hate this story, but I also wouldn't trade it for the world. It's, it's quite a thing to be able to get to that point. I, I think I can say those words. It's, it, they don't always tumble out easily. But that's the reality of, of submitting ourselves to a good and sovereign Savior. There's a few things that our psalmist uh, leaves us with uh, from this message to take with us um, in terms of how we can personalize 
um, our, our ability to, and to grow in, in our trusting of a sovereign God. And uh, the first one is this. In verse 13, it says that uh, we should come into his house and worship him. And you're here this morning. Step one, wonderful. You get an A on the first part of the quiz. You're here and you're celebrating with God. But, but I wonder, are, are you? Or is this just another uh, moment of obligation that, uh, that you're here for? Um, the brothers and sisters in Christ that are sitting around you are God's gift to you in the midst of whatever trial you're going through. I can definitely testify to that. I know that what God has done through the body of Christ here at Faith Church has been one of the most important and sustaining things in my entire life. And I'm so grateful for all of you. So let's celebrate the gift we have of one another. Then in verses 14 and 15, we're told to remember our vows that, that we made in times of trouble. And maybe you're in trouble right now. The, the vow that the psalmist says is that I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered in my moment of trouble, and I will, I will offer to you burnt sacrifices of fatted animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. The psalmist vows to gather with God's people and offer him sacrifices of praise. And that's a great vow, and we should all take it right now and say, I will praise you, Lord. And it's not, it's not related to feelings, but it's, it's related to the prom, promise of God to bless us in the, the coming together in his name and in offering uh, sacrifices of praise. A third one is by proclaiming him to God's people. In verse 16 we read, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you of what he has done for my soul, because high praise is on my tongue. Now, what the psalmist did is kind of what I'm doing this morning. Not nearly as well, but I'm doing it. I'm telling you that my trials are part of my testimony. I'm telling you that my struggles are a part of my story. And God has promised that our, our praise will be completed when we offer up the words of praise in the congregation, that we will offer up our laments and our praise to him as we gather together. And this is actually a really big challenge in the body of Christ because some of us don't do this well at all. We don't share our burdens. We don't offer words of praise, and then we don't tell anybody that we're not offering our words of praise. We just go it alone. And in my uh, infinite wisdom, all I'm going to tell you is stop that. Stop it. I don't know any better way to say it. That is not God's plan for you. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to be willing to share when we're struggling, and we need to be willing to proclaim him to one another when we are celebrating. That's what our psalmist challenged us with. The fourthly is being, uh, celebrating being refined. And boy, that's not fun and not easy. But celebrating being refined. In verse 18, he says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. In this case, the refining is about sin. It's getting rid of sin in our lives. And the psalmist says, if God hadn't refined me, I would not have the ability to pray because I would not be right with him. And so in the middle of our struggle sometimes, what's happening is that God is trying to burn something away from us and we're holding on to it. 
It's like holding a hot potato that came out of the microwave, and, and it's like, ow, 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 and we squeeze it harder, you know, like, because I, I want that potato. And God is, is firing up the, uh, his refining fire and is trying to get us to let go of it, to release and let go and walk away from the iniquity in our lives. And there's times and we're rebellious about it and really don't want anything to do with the process. But the psalmist says, I am grateful that God has refined me because I can pray, because I'm right with him and I can give, give my worship and praise to God. And then finally, we are encouraged to abide in him in the very last verse of this psalm, verse 20. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. And the emphasis there is God's steadfast love. God initiates this refinement. It's his work. It's his deal. It's not because he's mad. It's not because he's grumpy. It's because he loves us. And in our trials, he's calling us to be more dependent on him, more prayerful, closer to him, loving him more because he loved us and is staying close to us. And so in conclusion, I just encourage you, I hope that you can pray and say these words. I rejoice in Christ and proclaim Christ even in trials, for he is faithful to redeem and refine me to the praise of his glorious name. Let's pray. Father, I, I do thank you that your son did not hesitate to suffer and to die for us so that we might be made right with you. And I thank you that our suffering and our trials are not pointless. They refine us. They build our trust in you, in your goodness, and in your sovereignty. May we be united with you and not driven away as we go through these trials, as we strive and struggle in this life. That's our prayer, and we ask you to fulfill it in us. In Jesus' name, amen.